Good morning, everyone. It's good to be here with you. My wife and I had a chance to get away uh, last week. We were coming back from, uh, we were staying up in Orcas Island up in uh, Washington State, kind of in the waters up near Canada. So I had a great relaxing time there. And, uh, we're, but we're really happy to be back. It's kind of weird when you live in San Diego and you go on vacation because you come home to San Diego. And, and it's, it's kind of interesting. Last night we were uh, at the beach with some friends and we're kind of getting ready for the school year to start again. And we looked around and realized, like, we just got back from vacation and we're sitting on the beach while the sun's setting and having dinner. This is what people do for vacation. This is just what we do because it's Saturday night. And, and so we're definitely very grateful uh, for that. And, and we're grateful to be back with this community and, and with so many of you. It's, it, it's fun to, to look around and just see how, uh, to be a part of the family and to be a part of a, a congregation who loves Jesus and is trying to do our best to make him known. And, and so we're glad to be back with you with that. And we do appreciate the time away. So thank you for that as well. Uh, this morning we're going to continue our series uh, called God Is, and the series is an exploration through several of the Psalms, and we're looking into how these ancient writers describe their idea of who God is, and the Psalms are a collection of po- poems and songs, and, and, and there's a lot of kind of imagery and allegory and all these things, but they're the way writers express their hearts as they described the character and nature of God. And so as we go through this series, the one question we want to ask is not just who is God, but when we learn about his character, what we want that to do is then say, because God is a certain way, how does that change us? Because we believe that we're called to be an extension of his gracious rule and his reign to the rest of creation. So who God is changes everything. It should affect how we act and how we respond as we represent who he is. So as we study these psalms, that is the point of this series and and why we'll be doing this. As uh, Frank opened up for us today by reading Psalm 29, you can guess that's what we are going through. So I invite you to continue to keep uh, your Bibles open to Psalm 29 or your tablets or phones or whatever your device is. Uh, If you're new to Scripture and you have an actual Bible, just open right up, almost directly in the middle, you'll find the Psalms. And uh, it's 29 is what we're looking at here today. Uh, I will not read all of them, but I want to kind of go through Psalm 29 uh, quickly, again, to provide some context. And now Psalm 29, first of all, is written, we believe, by David, uh, King David. He wrote many of the Psalms. And Psalm 29 is a call to worship, but then it gives all the reasons about one particular aspect of God of why he is worthy of our worship. Now, what David does in this psalm too, just by way of context, is he uses some imagery, some language, and actually some actual lines from other poems and uh, literature that existed at the time of David. Uh, some from some Ugaritic texts, which I know you're all familiar with, and, and then some other stuff from the Canaanite writings. And so this psalm is actually an adaptation of some popular ideas and beliefs um, and some popular writings. And David took those in and applied them to uh, the God of Israel, Yahweh, and said, this is, this is a way we describe Yahweh. And so it's a perfect example of using contemporary language and contemporary ideas and applying them to describe who God is. So that's what happens here in this psalm. So uh, to talk us through the psalm really quickly here, the first two verses, as we, we read earlier, ascribe to the Lord, O sons of mine. So it's a call to worship. 
It begins in the first two verses. When it says ascribe to the Lord, essentially that's give to the Lord or give credit to Him or, or come to God and give to Him what is due His name. So he begins with a call to worship. And then verses 3 through 9, he changes gears and he takes those verses all to explain an aspect of God. And that aspect, as you can see, he says, the voice of the Lord is upon the waters. Verse 4, the voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Uh, Verse 7, the voice of the Lord hews out flames of fire. Verse 8, the voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. Verse 9, the voice of the Lord makes a deer to calve and strips the forest bare. So, He uses these verses 6 through 9 to describe God in the context of the voice of God. And we're going to get into that in a moment. And then he kind of caps that off, goes back into in the end, says the Lord God sat as king of the flood, he sits as king forever. So because of this aspect of who God is, the voice of God, we need to remember that he sits as king forever. And then at the end it says, the Lord will give strength of his people and bless his people with peace, which we're going to get into in a little bit. But what I want to do is take some time to really understand that three through nine and that aspect of this psalm where he talks about the voice of the Lord, the voice of the Lord. He repeats it over and over again. And anytime you read in scripture, though this is poetry, Uh, and you see something repeated that you say, well, I don't know if this makes a whole lot of sense, it's a good idea then to take some time to figure out what it does mean. And again, this is poetry, so he's using some imagery, some metaphor here. Does God's voice literally do all those things? Perhaps. But uh, let's look at a little bit more of how the voice is used in ancient writing. Now, in the ancient world, Often the voice of a god was often associated with their power. And so when you hear the voice of the Lord over and over again, it it represents the powerful presence of this god. We find in some of the writings, the Canaanite writings about this god named Baal, who they kind of held as their highest god, Baal's voice was associated with thunder, and they said that kind of represented his power. And so thunder would be Baal's voice being heard and his power and his presence were being known. And and so that was a common belief there. We have this god Marduk from the ancient world as well, no longer exists, but um, this god also, they would say, when you hear the rumblings of thunder, it was his voice. In other words, his presence and his power showed up in this. So when David uses this word over and over again of the voice, he's adopting this idea of describing the powerful presence of their God and applying it to Yahweh, to the Creator God. Saying the powerful presence of God is here over all of creation as you read verses 3 through 9. Now a few other ideas where we see God's voice used throughout Scripture. Consider first of all in Genesis chapter 1. This is story of creation, and that also is poetry. It's describing in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it talks about, and God said, let there be light. God's voice had a powerful presence, and his word spoke creation into existence. Now, is that how it worked? Did God sit there just speaking and things happened? Did he make them with his hands? Did he, you know, program it on a celestial computer? I don't know. how he created, but something associated with God's voice speaking represents his powerful presence in creation. 
We find that on Mount Sinai when uh, Moses is on the top of this mountain uh, receiving the commandments from God. There's this, uh, this story of these clouds kind of enveloping the top of the mountain and they see lightning and they hear thunder. They hear rumblings. And the word and the terminology they use here is the thunder, the rumblings were used for the voice of God, not a different word for thunder. So God's presence and His power was made known even at Mount Sinai in the form of His voice was being heard. So when you hear in this psalm the voice, he's talking about a powerful presence of God that's being made known. Now here's another example of of God's voice used in Scripture representing His power and His presence. In Genesis chapter 3, we have the story of Adam and Eve, the first humans according to Scripture, and they were commanded not to eat from a certain tree, and then they ate from the tree, and immediately they felt shame because they knew they went against what God wanted for them. So they felt shame, they realized they were naked, and they hid, but now in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, it says this, Adam and Eve heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. That's in Genesis chapter 3 verse 8. Now, now, uh, this word here, the sound of the Lord, when they heard the sound of the Lord walking through the garden, the Hebrew terminology here was kol Adonai, or the voice of Yahweh. The voice of God was in the garden. And, And so voice associated with God often represented his presence and his power in the place. So in creation account, when Adam and Eve fall, the presence of God shows up and scripture describes it as the voice of God was heard and that represented his presence. So as we dig into this psalm a little bit more and we look at Okay, what do we learn about God's power and presence? Why does David want us to know? Why does David talk so much in the psalm about God is powerful? God is present. He comes over and over again. Today what I want to do is take that idea of God is powerful and God is present and find how does that change who we are? In other words, why does it matter that we have a powerful God? How does it affect how you and how I live our lives? How should we be different if God is powerful and God is present? So that is a question we want to look at here today. How that power changes us. So, in order to do that, what I want to do is we're actually going to look into a different part of Scripture. I want to open or turn over to 1 Kings chapter 18. And in 1 Kings chapter 18, we see one example of someone who understood God's presence and his power and how that changed him. And the first thing that we're going to see here is when we understand that God is powerful, we find that understanding God's power gives us strength as his followers. Consider it this way. When I was a kid, I remember at one point, one of the houses I was living at in like second grade, it was one of those neighborhoods where there's like 45 kids living on the street. I don't know if you've ever lived in one of those. And we all had our bikes, which were basically we thought were like our cars. You know, we could ride our, our bikes to each other's house. And we all lived as one clan. I'm not even sure whose parents were who. We just all were raised together. And, and um, I remember in particular, for some reason, my garage was the garage that everyone 
said was the scary, it was haunted. <laughs> and so, so every once in a while, we would decide that there was something scary in our garage. I still don't know what it is. I don't know how, how we decided it was. Or, or, but I remember one day in particular, no one would go near our garage. But because we were just a pack of wolves raising each other, we also wouldn't leave. <laughs> we didn't want to go in it, but we wanted to be near it because we thought, oh, this is kind of fun. We are so scared. And I remember being so scared to death, like you cannot go in our garage. Something is in there. And we'd kind of open the door and look in and then everyone would run, you know, run and hide. Uh, and you just get yourself worked up as a kid. It's just part of life. And it's a blast. And I remember this day in particular, my dad came home from work it was at the end of the day, and he pulled up, and we're all crowding around like, Dad, Dad, and they were like, well, his dad's in the army. We'll be fine now, you know. So he came down, and we're like, Dad, there's, there's something in there. We, you cannot go in there. And I just remember him. I think he was just like, you know, as dads do, like, oh, I'm macho now. These guys are afraid. So he just got, you know, walked right up to it, and, and I, he had nothing to do in the garage, but he opened the door and just walks in and like, grabbed something random out of it and walked back out just to let us know, like, it's fine. And we're all like, oh, he went in the garage. Are you kidding me? And I remember walking in with him and thinking, like, wow, he's not afraid of whatever's in here. He's not afraid, so I'll probably be okay. See, this imagery, when we understand that God is powerful, it's the imagery of a kid that it gives us strength when we really get a grasp of who our God is. And so this is what we're going to find in 1 Kings chapter 18. We see Elijah. It's the story of a prophet of God named Elijah. And Elijah was living in a time when Israel was described as people who were all um, rebelling away from God and, and they weren't following him. And some were bowing their knee to this God Baal that I mentioned earlier. And, and Elijah decided to have a showdown with these prophets of Baal. And they, they went up to Mount Carmel, and, and a couple of years ago, I think we studied this story. So we're not going to study it in big de- in super in-depth right now, but we want to talk about it a little bit. So during this showdown, Elijah is himself alone against these 400 prophets of Baal. And they decide to have a little showdown. And here's what they said. They said, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to put a sacrifice on the altar, And then we're going to call out to our God. And if our God is powerful and present, he will send down his fire and consume this sacrifice. Now, one thing about this challenge was it was Elijah against 400 prophets who were all calling out. The other thing was Elijah served Yahweh, the creator God, and they served a God that they believed was the God overall named Baal. Now, one thing associated with Baal, I already said that Baal's voice was associated with thunder, so that was his power. But he also, in all the depictions of Baal, he held lightning in his hand. And they believed that he could throw down lightning or throw down fire from heaven. So when Elijah gives this challenge to the prophets of Baal, what he does, he essentially makes it as easy as possible for them. He says, we're going to call on our God, and if your God is there, have him throw down fire from heaven. Now, the one thing they believed that Baal could do was to throw down fire from heaven. Every image of him has him with lightning. So they thought, are you kidding me? That's simple. That's perfect. We'll do that one. That sounds good. So they have this showdown. Now, it starts with the prophets of Baal, and they start calling out to Baal and saying, oh, Baal, hear us and and consume this, this sacrifice on the altar. And they keep calling out and calling out. In verse 26 of 1 Kings chapter 18, we hear them say, Oh, Baal, answer us. And it says, But there was no voice and no one answered. So they leapt about on the altar which they have made. 
Now this terminology here, there was no voice, again, is saying, uh, or there was no voice, there was no presence of their God that showed up. So as they called out, the prophets of Baal realized there that God couldn't hear them. Elijah decided to help them a little. He said, well, you know, if Baal can't hear you, maybe the problem is you're not being loud enough. So cry out louder. So they cried out louder. He said, maybe Baal is busy. Cry out louder. Maybe he's taking a nap. Maybe he went on a journey. He can't hear you yet. So they start screaming and dancing around and they begin cutting themselves as a, a form of worship and they're trying to control the situation to get Baal to respond. And Scripture tells us there was no voice. In other words, Baal's presence was not there. And it became Elijah's turn because the prophets of Baal were really tired. (laughs) And Elijah sighed, and so he says, let's do this. Let's fill this altar with water. Let's pour water over everything, and I'm going to pray and call out to God. And he prays, and he says, God, if you hear me, consume this place with fire. And it said a fire came down, rumbling from heaven, consumed the sacrifice. In fact, actually consumed the prophets of Baal who are standing by. And everyone bowed on their knee and cried out, the Lord God is the true God. Right after that, they were in a drought, by the way, like a four-year drought. (laughs) And it was at that time that they saw in the distance this rainstorm coming, and we hear the kol Adonai, a rumbling of God's voice, was accompanied with a heavy rain. God's presence and power showed up. Now, what's one thing that we learn from this? I said, one of the things that we learn, I start off by saying that when we believe that God is powerful, that gives strength to his people. In this situation, this provided strength for Elijah. Now, this is a little different situation than you and I will probably ever face. I don't know that we're ever going to need God to throw down fire from heaven and show up in that way, although that'd be pretty cool. But what we find here is Elijah had a belief in the power of God and that gave him strength to face this situation, trusting that if God is powerful, if He is in control, then the situation is in His hands. The question for us today is, do you live as if you have a powerful God? You see, because I believe that followers of God of heaven, the followers of Jesus Christ, we should be the people with the least amount of anxiety in all of the world. We should live free from from stress and worry more than anyone else. And I'm not saying you never think about details. You're not responsible. I'm not saying that. But when we believe that God is powerful, that that means we believe that He is able to handle our situations that we face. And it, free, it gives us strength and frees us from having to take control in our own hands. It frees us from having to try to solve everything to the point of exhaustion. Think of it this way. I, uh, I, we have three kids, three boys. We love our boys. It is very challenging as a parent to live out the belief that God is powerful. You see, because as a parent, we want to make sure our kids have the best teacher, the best coaches. We want them to have the best situations, the best friends. We want them to eventually date and hopefully one day marry someone who's from a perfect family. 
with no issues or drama, <laughs> if those exist, and, and, and we want our kids to have perfect grandkids that, that follow the... You, you know, as a parent, all of a sudden, we want everything lined up. And we try to manipulate and control every situation. I know when I first, when we found out our first son was a boy, um, a friend of mine also who was like me, we were both kind of like meathead jocks. We loved sports. We were playing in a basketball league together. We played softball together. We just loved sports. And we both, um, both of our wives were pregnant at the same time. And he was a volunteer in our youth ministry that I was working in. And we were talking about our kids, and, and I think it was before we even found out if they were boys and girls. And I was like, oh, I just, I would love to have a boy. And he's like, me too, but I'm not going to say it. And I'm like, oh, I want to have, I'd love to have like three or four boys. It'd be so much fun. We'll just play sports. He goes, me too, but don't say it out loud, because then God's not going to let you have it. I'm like, what? You know, as if God's like, oh, you want boys? Well, let me show you. And, and fortunately, God didn't do that to me, because I have no idea what I'd do. But so, but so, my idea, too, I thought, oh, if I have boys, we're going we're gonna to be playing sports and watch sports. And when my wife comes downstairs and wants to watch, you know, Downton Abbey, we can say, like, no, the game's on. I mean, it, just all this great stuff. Like, we will dominate the house, and, and we're just going to, it's just a bunch of meatheads, and I, it's going to be so great. And, and, and so, you know, when the first baby's born, I'm throwing the ball to him before he can even see, you know, and just like, come on, <laughs> got to get you going, got to get you ahead. But in my mind, I had all this idea of, of how I wanted them to be. And now I have three boys. I love my boys. They're talented. They're smart. And only one of them's a meathead sports guy like me. <laughs> the other two are super artistic and, and, and just like, I'm, I just go, seriously, let's pl- go play baseball. Ah, it's kind of boring, Dad. I'm like, really? How can standing around for three hours waiting for the ball to come be boring? This is awesome. They're like, no, we want to watch the Avengers. That's more exciting. I'm like, you're kidding me. Oh. But um, the point is, <laughs> the one thing that I want for my boys is not that they play sports, although I like that. It's a bonus. <laughs> what I want is them to love Jesus and follow him. And they can be artists. They can have any job they want. They can play sports. They cannot play sports. They can be into what they're into, but I want them to follow and love Jesus. And you know the one thing that really I can't control in their life? is how long they love and follow Jesus. I mean, I can pray for them. I can model it. I can encourage it. I try to give them every reason to want to follow Jesus. I, my wife and I work hard so that our kids look at us and say like, yeah, if that's what a Christian looks like, we can do that. We don't want to turn them away from the faith. And we fall short. I'm sure there's things we could be doing better. But the one thing we want our kids to know is to follow Jesus. And if I believe that God is powerful, there are times I have to just release and say, God, I trust that you've got this. I want to physically bend the knees of my kids and and say, okay, they're accepting the Lord. Say the words. (laughs) And fortunately, all, all three of our boys have confessed to faith in Jesus and they believe. But I, you know, I want to control them the rest of their life so they never even sway from that but I can't. One of the hardest things as a parent is to believe if my God is powerful means that he understands us and he's got this under control. And it frees, it gives me strength to live and frees me from having to think I need to control what they say and what they do and what they believe. And that is hard. 
and it's a lot easier to say right now that things are going well <laughs> than should a day ever come when we're having some conflict about this. As parents, how many of you live as if God is powerful and you can entrust? As spouses, maybe struggling with each other, how many of you can believe that God is powerful and release? How many of you are in situations where you know you've been trying to manipulate it and change it and fight and fight instead of trusting that God is in control? And I'm not saying we're passive people that never do anything. But when we believe God is powerful, the outcome is in his hands. And we can live believing that's true. <laughs> Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, 31, he writes this, and I have this on the screen for you. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? In all things, we overwhelmingly con- are conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor height, nor death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor any height or depth, or any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have a powerful God, and we can't change that. We have to learn to trust that if God is for us, no one can stand against us. Now, that doesn't mean that like Elijah, you will face a battle, and you will always win. You will not always get your way. The people you want to vote for and see in charge in your country will not always win. The things that you think people should do will not always happen. But you can live trusting that if God is for you, no one stands against you on the things that matter. That God is in control. And nothing can separate that. Do you live as if God is a powerful God? Or if we look at your life, are you running around saying, yeah, yeah, God's powerful, but I better take control. That gives us strength. It may show up in the form of deciding to move your family to another country to serve the Lord and help others know about Him in a foreign place like the Verbaths are doing. Do you think it's easy to pack up and leave this place to an unknown if you don't have a belief in a powerful God? See, they're a model for us to say, you know what, when you believe that God is powerful, yeah, there are unknowns. There are some things that are difficult. They have a kid in high school who's going into his sophomore year. Many of us as parents would say, whoa, don't move on a sophomore year. That's a bad time to move. Right? Yeah. But if God's powerful, he already has Hudson's life in his hands. And he's going to take care of him. See, when we believe that God is powerful, we're given strength to live the way God has called us to. The other thing that we find about God's power, how it changes us and affects us, is God's power gives us peace. We can live with hope, trusting that God, God's outcome on things. Go back to 1 Kings chapter 18. In fact, we're going to turn to 19. See, God's power sometimes shows up in these great stories of fire and, and, and coming down on the altar. And so you say, yeah, God's presence gives me strength. The more I see that and remember that, I know that God's got my back. But here in, verse, in, in chapter 19 of 1 Kings, just one chapter later, here's Elijah. And Elijah now is discouraged because he now has the leader of Israel wants to kill him. He has everyone saying, you know, Elijah, we're tired of you. You just had this big victory for Yahweh, the creator God, and now it seems that no one wants to follow and they want to kill Elijah. And so he runs and he runs to the desert, which 
I don't know about you. I know some of you like going to the desert. I hate the desert. Life must be desperate when you run away to the desert. It's awful. So he runs away to the desert. And this is before swimming pools. So <laughs> he runs to the desert he, and he says, I just want to die. He's discouraged. God, I just saw a great victory of yours, but I'm tired. I don't want to do this anymore. I just want to die. Let me go. So he runs and it says he falls asleep at night and has this dream and wakes up and an angel had put some food there for him and says, get up and eat. So he eats it and goes back to sleep and it happens again. And he takes the rest of his journey. He continues to run. And he goes to this mountain called Mount Horeb that we believe is Mount Sinai. And he climbs up there and he's just saying, I've had enough. And finally he hears a voice in 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 9. And it says, what are you doing, Elijah? What are you doing? And he responds and says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They've killed your prophets with a sword. And I alone am left and they seek my life to take it away. And the voice says to them, Go forth and stand in the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by, and a great strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking them in pieces, or breaking the rocks into pieces before the Lord. So there's this picture of Elijah saying he's discouraged. He hears this voice from God that says, Go stand in the presence or in the opening of this cave. I'm going to pass by. And then he hears this huge wind rumbling, and the rocks are falling down and smashing open. And in the ancient world, if you saw that, you would say, God is making his presence known through this. Yet, here's what we find. There was a strong wind, but the Lord was not in the wind. And then after a wind, there was an earthquake. See, in the ancient world, if you hear an earthquake, certainly God's presence is here. And it says the Lord was not in the earthquake. In verse 12, after the earthquake, there was a fire but the Lord was not in the fire, even though one story earlier, he showed up in the presence of the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle blowing. Many of your versions will say, sound of a gentle blowing. The word there is kol amama dama. Gentle voice was heard. The presence of God showed up in a gentle voice. And Elijah covered himself and he had this conversation with God and God said, Elijah, I want you to know you're not alone. I want you to know, Elijah, that though everything seems in turmoil, there is a whole mess of people who still haven't bowed their knee to Baal. They're on your side. They're following me. Elijah, be encouraged and have peace because my presence is still with you. I have not left you. You see, one thing we learn about God's power is it's great when we see it show up in a big way, but God's power also comes in a quiet, murmuring voice. But it's no less powerful. And what we learn from that is God's power in this case brings peace to our lives. Brings peace. 
Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 through 7. I have this on the screen for you. Paul is writing, and he says, Hey, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So kind of like Elijah saying, God, I'm frustrated. God, I am tired. God, I can't do this anymore. He's presenting his request before. For God and what happens. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, notice it doesn't say all understanding, it says the peace that passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In other words, this, this word here, by the way, to guard your hearts, is a terminology relating to a Roman garrison of soldiers. So the peace of God will form a garrison, an army of soldiers around your heart and your mind and bring you peace. How many in here this morning could use an army of God surrounding your heart and mind to protect you and give you peace for whatever's happening in your life right now? See, we learn that God's power brings peace and we're reminded that He is in control and He's on His throne. Sometimes it's peace that passes understanding and sometimes it's just simply the peace that we experience. What is stealing your peace in your life? How is, when, if you believe that God is powerful, how does that give us peace? Again, it goes back to who's in control. Uh, there's a church where my parents attend. Um, I spoke up there a couple of years ago at a family camp, and I got to know their family pastor. He's this great guy who has, I think he has 12 kids. <laughs> so he's the family pastor. Like, yeah, you, you do it. <laughs> But a couple weeks ago, he got word that his four-year-old grandson kind of had a, a fever and went into the hospital. They couldn't figure out why. And it turned out that there was swelling in his brain and they had to put him into an in, induced coma. And they had to drill holes in his head to relieve the pressure. And it's now day 16 and this morning even he writes and says, we don't know what's going to happen. And they have people around the nation who know them, who are praying for them day and night and trusting that God is able to save. But even in their words, they say, we believe God has the power to change us. We believe God can heal him. But we know that he might not. That's tough. But the one thing that encouraged me so much in reading this pastor, he writes about his grandson and he, their family speaking about it, is they trust that God is in control. And they say, you know what? We believe whatever happens here, we still believe God's God. And here's what we're learning for it, through it. And he starts talking about relationships. Today he talked about He said, we realize, you know, with 12 kids, they never had a big house, they never had all the stuff, but they always had a family, and they always had friendships, and they have people around the nation who are praying for them and on their side. What they realize is God's showing them here the power and the value of friendships and relationships and family. And so in the midst of this family's great grief and great struggle and great unknown, they still are able to dig deep and say, but God's on his throne, and what he wants us all to learn is this. And today's lesson was relationships matter. Be grateful for what you have. We're grateful for the four years we've had with this little kid named Justice. 
We hope we have many more, but we may not. But God is good. And we're learning through this. I hear that and I think that is someone who understands that God is powerful. And that is a piece that I don't quite understand. But when we trust that God is powerful, that's the only way you can have peace in that situation. Some of you have been through this. You can relate. You know. Let me ask the worship team to start making their way up here. For many of us in the room today, I I don't know where you're at. Maybe for you, you need to just remember that God is powerful and therefore you have strength to face each day and you need to release. You need to quit trying to control everything. You need to quit saying, hey, God, you're God of everything but my kids. You're God of everything but my finances. You're God of everything but my my, uh, relationships. You're God of every, you know, some of you just need to release today and trust that God is in control. Some of you today may be crying out and saying, God, I need your peace. Like this friend of mine, right now they need God's peace. They need a garrison of soldiers to guard their heart and mind. For some of you, you need that this morning. We trust that God is able to do that for you. And so as we end with these last two songs, I want to ask you just to simply take time to reflect on the words and let the Spirit of God speak to you however you need to. And let's not be a church that listens to a message and says, okay, great, God is powerful. Let's be a church that says, God is powerful, therefore, we can be this. And let's make that God known through the way we live. So don't sit there unchanged when you hear who God is. Let's take some time to let him change and speak to us, however that needs to be in this place. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning. I thank you that you are powerful. I thank you that you are in control and you are on your throne. And God, I recognize there are times when that does not feel like that is true, but in those times, would you grant your peace that surpasses understanding? And for anyone in here this morning who has not yet released their lives to you, would you speak to them? Would you draw them to you, God? through your spirit. And for those who need your peace right now, would you show up in a mighty way? Because God, we believe that you are powerful and you are present and you bless your people with peace and you give us strength. So we thank you for this time and ask that you continue to move right now in this place.